You may or may not recall that last week we got to have some fun in the sermon with the brood of vipers and winnowing forks and fire and all that. And those were coming out of the mouth of John the Baptist. He was telling the people who were coming to him to hear what his preaching was out in the desert about what was to come, what they needed to avoid, what they needed to embrace. So now we fast forward some months, the very least, and John the Baptist is in prison. He's in the basement of the palace of Herod and is hearing through the grapevine, through people visiting in prison, probably through people being thrown into prison with him, about what Jesus was up to. And Jesus is not talking about brood of vipers or winnowing forks or fire to come. He's talking very differently. And so, understandably, John the Baptist is beginning to wonder, wait, was I off track? Or probably wondering even more, is Jesus off track? Because John the Baptist was called to preach a certain way, a certain message. You might say that he was called to preach from the doom and gloom part of the Bible. And then here's Jesus, who in this morning's quote from Isaiah is preaching from the happy part of the Bible and throwing off John the Baptist and his disciples because John the Baptist had lots of disciples following him, more than Jesus did. He had all these folks who were living in the desert, also eating honey and wild locusts, also living lives of great simplicity with lots of fasting and prayer. And then they'd look at what was happening in the towns and villages, and they saw Jesus and Jesus' disciples going to wedding feasts and having a good time, it seemed like, doing lots of fun stuff, of talking and singing and taking long walks out in the beautiful meadows of Galilee. John the Baptist folks were living quite a different lifestyle and getting a little bit holier than thou about it. So, John the Baptist instructs some of his disciples, go, go ask Jesus, are you really the one? And we can read into that either a sense of cynicism or a sense of true wonder, but most of all, we should have sympathy for John the Baptist because he is in prison, and back then, in prison was not uh, unknown type of dynamic. Instead, it was if you were in prison, you were probably going to be executed. Because that's how the Romans worked. So John the Baptist knew he was facing death at some point. And he was probably wondering, did my life have meaning? Was I thrown into jail for something that was true, you brood of vipers, or something false? And what's my legacy going to be? So Jesus responds with the words that we heard from Isaiah in the first reading, paraphrase a little bit, about all that good news. Good news to the poor, about people being healed, and quoting from a section of the Bible that's chapters away, but is similar to the section that John the Baptist had. And so John the Baptist could get some reassurance that he was John on track, even as the message now is being transformed by the very presence of God walking on earth. The good news is here, and therefore we don't have to worry about 
winnowing forks and fire, and you brood of vipers. Something completely different and unexpected is happening. As Jesus walks the earth, performs miracles, teaches, enjoys wedding celebrations, shares in the joyous, peace-filled, healing, good news of God's presence among us, even to this day. And this is one of the reasons why I talked last week about how we don't have to worry about judgment. We don't have to worry about flames and demons and devils, except when we're playing video games. That's not real life. Instead, it's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the good news that the whole world has been saved already. And we are called simply to live that way. You see, part of what happens here in the rest of the story is that even though John the Baptist, you could say, is being disrespectful to Jesus, Jesus still makes sure he compliments John the Baptist. That he says, you didn't go out to see a reed shaken in the, in the wind or someone wearing soft robes. No, those are people who live in palaces. And guess what that referred to? The very man who was holding John the Baptist prisoner. Because Herod had, on the symbol of his coinage, reeds. And so, oh, people would think, wait, that's, that's what's on my paycheck. That's what's on the coin I'm paid with, are reeds. Let's see, and who, who wears soft robes? The king, Herod. And who lives in palaces? There was only one person in the time of Jesus, in the region of Jesus, who had more than one palace, and that was Herod. He was notorious for building multiple palaces all over what's now present-day Israel. Because he wanted one out in the desert, he wanted one at the beach, he wanted one in Jerusalem, he, on and on and on and on. He was a huge palace builder. And, of course, did it usually with the labor of prisoners and slaves. Not a popular building program. So, Jesus is complimenting John the Baptist and also tweaking the nose of the political authorities, which, of course, we know, fast-forwarding many chapters, will lead to Jesus' own death. That, just as John the Baptist will die a couple years later, Jesus will die for very, very similar reasons. So if at times we're a little off track, if at times we're a little more John the Baptist, than Jesus, we don't have to sweat it. We don't have to worry about it. Because God will look and see that we are one of God's beloved children, every human being. And that even when we mess up in our preaching, in our sharing, in our living, in our generosity, whatever it might be, God will still forgive us. And look at the bright side of how we do love and how we do live, the good things we've done. That's the way that God sees us. As beloved children who mess up sometimes and other times do exceptional work, and if you, if you need an image, God is constantly putting our primitive crayon drawings on God's refrigerator and smiling at them. No matter how terrible the crayon scrawlings are, God still loves how we live and breathe and have our being because all of those things happen within God's embrace. And so as we walk through these last weeks heading towards Christmas, we don't have to worry about whether we've been naughty or nice. We don't have to worry about whether we're good enough. 
God has, chose, has told us through Christ that we are indeed good enough. That we are indeed beloved children of God. That we are indeed people who have the potential to love and be loved in ways that we can literally not imagine until we start to walk that way. That is very good news. And whether we feel ourselves in prison like John the Baptist or sitting at Jesus' feet, we are loved. And God is with us. And we are simply called to do our best to love others, to love ourselves, and to love God. And then indeed, we are being nice. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.